0: Thank you very much, Bro and Shirley, for ministering in music. In light of the message of that song, it should be our desire to be sharing Christ, Jesus, with others. Before we interact with God's word, if some of you are wondering, some of you have asked, you will notice that there is a band-aid on the right-hand side of my forehead. And that was because I went to the dermatologist this weekend to get a couple biopsies done. And that was where one of them was done. And uh, you know, just checking out to be sure that we're staying on top of things after years and years of dealing with some phys- physical things. He just said, I'll let you know the results. So. we'll leave it at that at the present time. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the relationship that we have with you through Christ. We know that you've called us to be living as ambassadors day by day. Not just trying to be faithful to you here and there, but as a pattern of life. As we interact with your word, consider some applications. We want to be doers of your word and not hearers only. For it's in Christ's name I pray, amen. Can you fly an airplane with one wing? I think we know the obvious answer, we cannot. Can we make disciples with only one wing? The answer is obvious, we cannot, as we will explain as we go along. And another question, what is your role in the world? What is your role in the world? And as we discussed last week, we found that as believers in Christ, our role is to be ambassadors. We're representing God in the world in which we live in our day-by-day living, and please understand that as we think about being ambassadors, we think about making disciples, I'm not talking about adding something to your life, that it's another thing you need to do. I'm talking rather about our being day-by-day as we live, as families, as we go about our jobs, as we go to school, as we shop, as we drive. We're talking about day-by-day living living with an ambassador mindset. And keep in mind, in the bigger picture, we're discussing what is the gospel, and the gospel involves a message. It involves conviction of the Holy Spirit. It involves relationships, and it involves transformation, both at the point of salvation And also beyond that point and even in the present as we live in harmony with God. The message involves creator God. We're dealing with a God who is creator, who desires a relationship with individuals. We know that sin came into the world. What we call the father is separation. But we know that God in grace pursued Adam and Eve and he pursued the Israelites and he pursues people today. And ultimately, his pursuer was in Jesus Christ. As Christ came, lived, demonstrated his character, did his work on the cross, arose from the dead, and is in glory. The whole issue of reaching people involves conviction of the Holy Spirit. We cannot draw unbelievers onto ourselves. It involves the spirit convicting of sin, righteousness, and judgment. It involves repentance. Again, the spirit is involved, and it involves faith. And when a person repents a sin and comes to faith in Christ, we enter into relationship with God, with Jesus, and with the Holy Spirit. We enter a re- into relationship with the body of Christ, desiring to worship together, desiring to practice the one another's, and we enter into relationship with the world in the sense that we are now ambassadors to the world. Were to be representing God in the world in which we live. And in the context of relating to the world, just wanted to find and review a definition of a couple of terms we considered last week, that evangelism is the verbal sharing of the message of the gospel of Christ, whether over a period of time or at one presentation, but it's the verbalizing of the message of what Christ has done. Making disciples is the process of relating to unbelievers, where we build relationships in day-by-day living on the job. You shop, you purchase gas at the same place and so on, you build relationships. It's the sharing of the message of the gospel of Christ. And generally that's a process over time, especially in the world in which we live today, which has less and less knowledge of God as creator, the fall, sin, separation in Christ. It involves a non-believer, and of course the Spirit has to convict, repenting of sin and trusting in Christ. It involves a new believer being taught to walk with Christ day by day, 24-7. How do you live as a man, a woman, a husband, a wife, father, mother, as a single person? How do you care for your parents? How do you work? And so on. And then a new believer reproducing self by making other disciples. Making disciples is over time. May involve several years, ten years or more. Time is not the issue but just the process. The eleven disciples were called to make disciples. They were to go into the world and make disciples. Evangelism is one of the steps in making disciples. Making disciples is both a lifestyle of walking with Christ and verbalizing the message. It's not merely living the life. Some people say, "Well, live godly." That's one wing. You got to verbalize. That's the other wing. If you're going to make disciples. Verbalizing. But also living the life. See, ambassadors seek to make disciples. Let's take our Bibles and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Last week we looked at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we turned to Colossians chapter 4. We'll look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we find that the Thessalonians are being written to by Paul, Silas, and Timothy. They're defending their ministry, they're expressing their deep concern for the Thessalonians, and then they go into some other things as far as how to live and respond. Let's go to chapter 4 and verse 1. Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God as, in fact, you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body or his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God, and that in this manner no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins, as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. Now, sometimes we say, what is God's will for my life? Paul, Silas, and Timothy mention a number of things here. To be sanctified, to avoid sexual immorality, to control your own body in a holy and honorable manner, clearly stated in the text. He also says in verse 9, now about brotherly love. We do not need to write you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers, to do so more and more. What is God's will that we love one another, that we love the brethren more and more? He goes on in verse 11. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and work with your own hands Just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Paul, Silas, and Timothy giving instruction in just how to live day by day. We want to focus briefly on verse 11 and 12. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Have you ever come across some believer and you're talking and you say to them, what's your ambition in life? And they say, it's my ambition is to lead a quiet life, to mind my own business and to work with my own hands. That's what I want to do. Just want to live a quiet life, mind my own business and work with my own hands. And the reason I want to do that is to win the respect of unbelievers. Paul says, make it your ambition. You know, you're shooting for something in life. A quiet life. Mind your own business. Work with your own hands. The idea of ambition. You're applying yourself. You want to accomplish certain items. The first item he mentions is to lead a quiet life. We probably struggle with that at times. It's not a hurried life. It's not hectic. There's a calmness in life in spite of... All kinds of things that may come along. There's a desire to know Christ. There's caring for the basics. And there's a confidence in God. A quiet life. How easy it has been down through the pages of history to run hither and thither in life, doing one thing after another. And the unbelievers say, I have enough to do already. I don't want to add God to this. I don't want to add church. A quiet life. Sometimes we may have to choose to say no to items that take you away from the basics of life. Sometimes we will have to say no to the noise of Radio, TV, the computer, just so we can listen to God. Be still before him and listen. It may be choosing at times to live in the slow lane of life rather than the fast lane of life because we want to walk with God. It may mean after a hectic season of life that we may step back and say, God, I just need some time to be alone with you. I can't define totally a quiet life for you. But I think in light of the next statement, mind your own business, that a factor in leading a quiet life in our culture today is to just not watch the news sometimes or very little of it. To not spend a lot of time in the newspaper to not worry about world events because it's bombarding us with things that we can't do anything about, things that we don't even need to know. It's not our business. It's not my business what all the senators and people in the House of Representatives do. I don't need to know. Oh, it may be in the news, it may be in the paper, but I don't need to know. I don't need that going through my mind. I don't need to process that. I don't need to know what is happening in the lives of people down home that I grew up with. I can't do anything about it. I'm not called to act. I live here. This is my life. No. Mind my own business. I don't need to go to the job and say to a coworker, hey, can you tell me about so-and-so? What happened to so-and-so? And there's juicy, juicy tidbits being told. Don't need to know that. So there's some sexual sin that takes place up in wilkes and the paper puts in a big article about it and describes what happened. Do we need to know about that? Is that our business? What are we going to do about it? Most of it we can't do anything about. Why do I need to bother my mind with that? Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business. If I can do something about it, I guess it's part of my business. But a lot in life, I can't do anything about. Why even think about it? He goes on, and to work with your own hands. According to chapter 5, apparently some in Thessalonica were thinking the Lord was going to return soon, and so they said, we're just not going to work, we're going to wait. And Paul said... That you should warn the idol in chapter five, but apparently some people weren't working. Paul says, Silas says, Timothy says, make it your ambition to work with your hands. Why? So that you may win the respect of outsiders, that is, unbelievers, and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Ruth Ann was sharing with me this week, years ago when the kids were younger, she was, she was thinking it was in JCPenney. She was getting her hair done. And uh, she had three kids with her. And they were younger, and you know, kids are angels all the time. Yours always were, and ours always were. You know, they don't always behave well in a public setting, or you know, you worry about how they're gonna respond. And Ruth Ann said a lady came up to her and said, you're a believer, aren't you? Ruth Lynn said, Yeah. The lady said, I just got saved two weeks ago and I could see a difference in you and how you responded to your children. That's winning the respect of outsiders in a short period of time. Now you work with people, you shop at certain places, you see neighbors, you may play some sports. quiet life, mind your own business, work with your own hands and win the respect of outsiders. On the flip side, this is not a good thing. When I was in school in Chattanooga, I got a job with a contractor. He built some duplexes, he built some homes. And I was a grunt guy, you know. And I remember one afternoon as I was out preparing the lawn to be planted in front of a duplex that he had built. He came out and he said to me, Dan, you're doing too good of a job. You don't need to do as good a job as you're doing. But the sad part was that the two owners of the business we're both believers, and there was quite a few times I would look at this that was being done in that duplex, and I thought that's shoddy work. That's not quality work. But yet they're going to turn around and sell this, or sell the duplex, or rent it out, whichever they opted to do. And those who rented or bought will come back and say, "What's wrong?" Mind your own business and live a quiet life. Work with your own hands to win the respect of outsiders. Let's go to another passage, 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1. We have 1 Peter. We could go there, but I'm sorry, 1 Peter chapter 3. We're not going to look at all chapter 1, 2, and 3, but 1 Peter chapter 3. Now keep in mind that as Peter is writing... Peter's writing to saints in Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, and they were going through persecution. They were going through difficulty. And in chapter 1, he gives them a hope. He reminds them that God had chosen them through the resurrection of Christ from the dead to enter into an inheritance that won't perish, spoil, or fade away. They have been born again into a second birth. And the trials that they were going through because of their faith were going to test their faith and demonstrate that their faith was genuine. So he calls them to action in verse 13. Prepare your minds for action, be self-controlled, and so on. And as he goes through the book, you will find that he tells them to live and respond in a certain way. Notice in chapter 2 in verse 1. Rid yourself of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babes, crave pure spiritual milk. But get yourself, get rid of malice. That's the viciousness where you tear others down. Deceit, you know, you're not being truthful. Hypocrisy, you say one thing, you live a different way. Envy, oh, wish you had a car like Rich. Wish you had a home like <clears throat> Danny and Karen, you know, whatever the case may be, you know, your envy. He says, get rid of that. Slander of every kind. Notice what he says in verse 11 of chapter 2. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and as strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Abstain from sinful desires that war against your soul. There's all kinds of desires that we may have that war against our soul that pull us away from God. One desire may be that when someone cuts you down, you want to cut them down. Live as an alien, as a stranger. You might like to buy that home or that object so that you're content. Abstain, it won't bring contentment. In verse 12, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits you. Just live good before unbelievers among the pagans. Verse 13, submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to King as a supreme authority or to governors who are sent by Him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Now down through the pages of the years that you have lived, there have been times you did not agree with those in authority over us. And you have heard all kinds of criticism of those in authority over us. President Obama, this, that, and the next thing. President Bush, this, that, and the next thing. President Clinton, this, that, and the next thing. We're called to honor and submit to those in authority over us, not to criticize them. So someone comes up to one of the people who were living during Peter's day and said, what do you think of Nero? Nero was the one who was behind having your mother executed for her faith in Christ. Yes, Nero is behind that, and Scripture says something about being persecuted for our faith. I'm called to honor Nero. I'm called to respect those in authority over me, and I will do that. Living in our world today, and we've all probably been guilty of this, maybe to some extent, the whole issue of health care, Obamacare, affordable health care, whatever you want to call it. Oh, and we can just get on a roll about that. God has not called us to criticize that. He's called us to honor our president, to respect our president. I say that to myself, to all of us. He says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority. He goes on in verse 18. Slaves, submit yourself to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. So Jeremiah comes home from toiling for his master tomorrow and <clears throat> project down the road well we'll take the present and mom and dad say jer how it go today go and jer says it was tough boy my owner was mean and nasty and he beat me some but i submitted to him with all respect In chapter 3 he says, wives, in verse 1, in the same way be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of the wives. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Again, a wife in day by day living, the way she lives and responds to her husband, may draw him to Christ. Now, go back down to chapter Or 3 in verse 13. Who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you suffer for what is right, you are blessed. So tonight, Nero is going to light his gardens with Jeff and Anita, being burned at the stake for their faith in Christ. Tomorrow night, it's going to be Zach and Danny They're going to light his garden. And Nero wants some fun on Wednesday. So he's going to take Shurroh and he's going to take Ray and throw him into the lions and invite people to come and observe as these Christians are mauled over by the lions. And these Christians are responding with, we're blessed. We're blessed. We're getting to die for Christ. We're blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord, always being prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. As Zach is going to his death, the soldier says, Zach, what's going on here? You seem to be doing well. You seem to be confident. You seem to have a glow about you. Zach says, you might take my life, but it's a promotion. I'm going to be with Christ. Ray's out there among the lions, and he's being mowed to death. And before he went, those who took him, To be with the lion said, Ray, I've been watching your life. You're different. Yesterday, you were slaving good for your master, and today you're going to be killed. What's this going on in your life? And Ray says, I have a hope. I have an expectation with Jesus Christ. That's what's going on. Someone comes alongside Dan and says, Dan, whether you know it or not, I've been hiding out while you work alone at night at UPS. And I noticed that you do good work when no one's looking. Why? Because I'm not working for UPS, I'm working for God. He's my ultimate master. People asking the reason for the hope that one has. JT walks out of class and on the bus on the way home someone says boy jt that teacher was really mean and nasty today and jt says true or not i'm to respect that teacher i'm to honor that teacher and i'm to study hard and the other kid says are you crazy and jt says yeah i'm crazy i'm in love with god and i'm not serving my teacher i'm serving god That's where Peter is coming from. He's talking about day-by-day living. And it wasn't where these people were going out and saying, listen. Believers weren't going out and saying, listen, unbelievers. But the unbelievers were coming and saying, tell us the reason for the hope that you have. Why do you prepare your minds for action? Why do you not give yourself into worldly desires? Why do you submit to authorities? Why are you being willing to obey your master? And they respond. This whole God thing, it's this whole Christ thing that makes the difference. We struggle (coughs) because the world bombards us with so much that would pull us away from God. Take another example. A guy and a gal are out on a date. And the guy is leading the girl along to some sexual involvement. The girl very clearly and distinctly says, young man, this is the way you're gonna be, we're done. I don't need you. No, I will not give in to you under any circumstances. You may be the jock in school. You may be the most popular. You may have the nicest car, but I don't need you. And he says to her, what do you mean you don't need me? I don't need you. Well, why don't you need me? Because I have someone better than you. I will honor my Lord and Savior before I'll yield to you. See, that's asking of the hope that a person has. See, in relating to the world of unbelievers, we are ambassadors in our day-by-day living. Our attitudes, our motives, our beliefs, our words, our actions all come out in day-by-day living. day by day. So we're in a conversation with someone or a group of people about our government. And it leads into being very, very critical of those in authority over us. And you say, let's be careful here that we guard our words because we're criticizing someone that God set up that we're to respect and we're to submit to. You say that graciously and kindly, that's being an ambassador. In marriage, in family, just the way you respond. Sometimes we give positive examples. Let's take a negative. So Ruthann and I are in a public setting, and I... Say something to her that's not so sweet and gentle and loving. And there's other people around and they hear it. And the Spirit of God, because I fellowship with him, convicts me very, very quickly. And I say, honey, in the same public setting, I'm sorry I sinned against you. Will you forgive me? No one else said anything at that moment. I bet they get home thinking. What's wrong with them? I would never do that. Maybe a couple months later, one of the guys that was present or gals come up and say. Dan. How in the world did you apologize to your wife in public? Well, it's this God thing. I have a fellowship with the Spirit. Christ is my life. I want to please God, and He left me no. And it happened in a public setting, and I needed to deal with it in a public setting. See, that's living in marriage, you know, in a godly way, in job, in a school, just the way you work. Unless I miss my guess, I could go to the school of all of you here, or to the place of work, or where you did work if you're retired. And find out if you lived as a believer by asking co-workers how you responded. Because people pick up on that. I've mentioned this before. I've heard over and over about how some of you respond on the job. Just by someone saying, oh, you know so-and-so. Yeah, I'm their pastor. Oh. And then they'll say about how good a worker someone is or how they responded in school. That's living out your faith, being an ambassador, driving the way you drive. You know, we all run into idiots on the road once in a while. Not physically, you know, but we see them, you know, they're just idiots. They probably don't need to hear from us that they're idiots. They probably won't hear us anyway, you know. Well, you honk your horn. Do you ever consider that you're an ambassador for Christ as you drive? the way you drive and the way you respond shopping we shop some of us more than others but as you shop there's a contentment I don't have to have I might need this or that but I don't have to have something to be content that influences the way you respond Finance is a contentment seeing yourself as a steward just how do you respond to what God has given to you See, when it comes to making disciples, it's not something we add to our life. It is our life. See, if you're in the job and someone comes to faith in Christ, you can disciple that person just the way you work and interacting with them on the job. You can disciple a friend at school if they come to faith in Christ and encouraging them along the way. Maybe you get together sometimes for prayer and Bible study and so on. But just day by day, Living out your faith for God's honor, for God's glory. Don't worry about it, I'm skipping a bunch here for a definite reason. Can an airplane or can you fly an airplane with one wing? No. Can we make disciples with only one wing, a godly life? No. Well, I'll just verbalize and live the way I want. No. A godly life and verbalizing both are essential as we make disciples. going to sing together in just a few moments. And as we do, please keep in mind that we're ambassadors. You're a believer in Christ, your ambassador, not on Sunday, not merely on Monday, but 24-7. And think about that as we sing together. Travis?